navigating the datascape with Chris Presley and special guests. Welcome to episode 30 of the Datascape podcast. I'm your host, Chris Presley. It seems like streaming technologies are all of the rage these days. Do you need to convert from batch processing to streaming? I brought Danilo back to the show to walk us through the evolution from batch to streaming and discuss leading technologies, user mindsets, use cases, and more. Danilo appeared on episode number three, where we delve deep into data lakes. Welcome back to the show. Danilo, how are you doing? Thanks, Chris. Great. I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Certainly, you know, we got to know you very well in the first episode, but thought it's, it's been a while, so I thought I'd catch up. What's your title the, and what are you working on these days? Sure. I work as the director of engineering at Pythem for a project called uh, Kick Analytics as a Service. Basically, my team right now is building some cool stuff around automated, automation of data pipelines in the cloud because we realize that cloud offers enormous flexibility, but also challenges around doing things manually. Uh, so we're trying to help people to get over that and provide some interesting frameworks around data automation in the cloud. So, okay. So through that work, you must be working with uh, streaming technologies? Uh, we definitely do. We work with, with streaming technologies. We also help customers understand the use cases and scenarios in which those would be helpful. So I think that would be an interesting thing to talk about today as well. Okay, excellent. Great. So why don't we start by defining streaming? How does one, how do you define streaming? <laughs> I mean, it's a really good question, and I'm not sure if I'm very good with definitions, but I read a whole number of them, and I don't think any of them actually gets the core of the idea of streaming and uh, how it's different from batch. I mean, to me, it's basically streaming is a uh, computation model where you have to do two things. You have to be able to deal with data as an individual element coming in one by one. I mean, they all come in parallel at scale, but you treat them as as single elements. So you should have a framework that supports that. And at the same time, a framework that supports pretty complex computation across multiple elements. So like to me, this is the kind of duality that we're dealing with. Like data is coming in as individual elements all the time. So you need to be able to quickly process one, them one by, as separate elements. But also the really complex stuff starts where you need to do analytics across multiple elements at the same time and scale. Okay. That's a, I mean, that's a, that's a not very elegant definition, but that's how I, I think about it. Okay. And then for the audience, could you try to take a stab at defining batch processing? Well, I mean, like if we look at what I said about the streaming, then the batch is the case where you deal with data coming in and batches, right? Multiple elements at the same time. And uh, you still should be able to do the same things. You should, should be able to do computation across all of them or across individual elements, but it's easy because they arrive same in this single batch. Okay, that makes sense. Um, you know, a lot of my career has been dealing with data in large batches, especially in, you know, data warehouse processing. So could we talk about, could you name a couple of workloads that you have touched or seen throughout the last little bit where you are using a, a streaming technologies? The workloads... Like I, I prefer to talk about the use cases where kind of streaming uh, makes sense, right? And uh, to me, the use cases that are best suited for this type of scenarios are the cases where you need to react to certain events or to certain analytics almost in real time. And I think that's the biggest differentiator between the batch and streaming that a lot of people kind of don't uh, fully understand. 
is because streaming frameworks are all about providing the real-time analytics on the data that's constantly flowing in, right? So we have this data sets that never end. But the consequences of that are that the con- like who's consuming the analytics results? I think that's that, that's really the question. Like if you try to abstract of like anything technological that the framework is doing, like who's the consumer of the analytics? And what I see is that the, if the answer is that consumer of the analytics is another system or another machine, then it's a good idea to start thinking about streaming in real time because machines can actually make decisions or react or do something in, in response to the data coming in. A good example is, I don't know, all live recommendations on the website. You clicked a few things, immediately this data flew through the streaming processing. There's some machine learning model or basic uh, decision tree sitting there. And it says, okay, show Chris this product because we think he will like it. Like there, it's, it's milliseconds, seconds, right? Response time. There's no human in the loop. But anytime you think about analytical scenarios where consumers of analytics are humans, like that's where things become really interesting because humans can't make decisions that fast and they never will. So the question I'm, when I'm talking to the customers and they say, oh, we absolutely have to have this real time analytics, that's what I'm asking. Like who will be consumer of the end results? Because if, if humans, then and we hopefully will talk more about the differentiator difference between the real-time ingestion and real-time analytics. But if consumer of analytics are humans, then you might be well off with real-time ingestion and do analytics and batch as you used to. But if your consumers are machines, then probably the uh, real-time analytics is the right thing that you should investigate. Okay. Do you want to go ahead and explain the difference between the two? Yeah, because I think there is no r- right now like not all of people are talking about this. And I, when I talk to customers or prospects, there's a lot of confusion from their end. So there's difference and there's different technologies and different levels of complexity between getting data into your warehouse, whether on-premise or on the cloud in real time. Like basically entries coming in one by one and you just aggregate them in some uh, stateful storage. So that's what I would say. It's a real-time ingestion. You just want to make sure that data, you don't wait to like an hour or a day to to get the data in. So it's simpler than real-time analytics, but it also has tremendous potential because you now don't have to worry that your data might have not arrived or like you don't have to think about whether this report is has yesterday's data or today's data, things like that. And honestly, a lot like when I talk, like when I hear real-time from customers and prospects, in 95, 96% of cases, what they really need is real-time ingestion. There is no analytics happening in real time whatsoever because, as I said, you have you need to have different consumers for that type of analytics. Yeah, and basically that's a real-time ingestion. And the second complex part that I already described is when you actually need to perform aggregations or summaries or joins or any other complex computation live with the sub-second latencies and feed that results elsewhere. Well, that's where the real-time analytics thing comes in play. And I mean, I, I see that area growing and grow. Like there will be more and more use cases covered by that because we'll have to feed data into more and more systems. But right now, it's really personalization live on websites. It's uh, fraud detection in financial systems. It's gaming all the way. Like that's the that's the thing that they do. And advertising, like online advertising, they've been doing it for years now. And that's a lot of the systems that we are dealing with today 
grew from that idea that you need to be able to deliver ads to the right people really, really fast. And uh, that's where the streaming kind of analytics idea came from. Okay. Uh, that, that's really useful context. So if I could summarize kind of the key points I've heard from the first part of our discussion, streaming is an excellent and streaming analytics are an excellent use case when the consumer is not a human being. So you're, you use the word fraud detection or so basically if a machine's going to make the decision. So a sensor is down, a machine is about to go wrong. You might like this, that sort of thing. But, you know, streaming is a good, replacement for batch style processing, especially for large amounts of data. However, there should be kind of a set point for any aggregation. So if you're streaming into a data warehouse, for example, you know, it's a it's streaming uh, streaming ingestion may be a great use case instead of trying to like chunk, have the machine scale out, chunk through, you know, gigabytes of, of data. You know, you could always be accumulating it in a landing spot and, and be trans, uh, doing your uh, aggregation or whatever other transactions uh, that are are there, because yeah, as I think about what you've said, I, I'm picturing a nightmare where, you know, a, a lot of my background is actually in financials. So, if you're looking at financial transactions and and if you were constantly streaming and aggregating all the time, if I look at numbers at 10 o'clock, you know, maybe a store hasn't sent in its transactions and suddenly I'm I'm down, everything's the numbers are down. My boss is going to, if I report this number, my boss is going to freak out. But as the other store connects up and streams in the, you know, reconnects and gets kind of gets its contribution and the aggregation happens at, say, 11 o'clock. Okay, well, I'm actually turning a profit. I don't have to worry anymore. So I can see a kind of a real nightmare for, for your users. And the same as if you and I are going to meet, you're my boss, I'm, I'm your employee. You know, I look at the number at nine, you look at it at 930. It could be a completely different number. Is that, is that right? So, yeah, I guess a lot of the analytics that is consumed by humans in the form of reports or dashboards is batch in nature. Like the, again, data may become in live and streaming, but people, there's a reason the things are called the daily report because an exec wants to see a snapshot of his business at the end of the day and they're basically making the decisions. Like that's probably the granularity, right, of people making decisions. Sometimes it's hours. In some cases, it's rarely minutes, but daily... Like if your business operates in this realm, I mean, that's, that's just the state of the things. So like being able to provide the snapshots of uh, information on the system is, is not going anyway. Uh, like it's not going anywhere. And I think that would be still uh, a useful concept. I mean, the thing is the streaming system do give you that ability as well. So you can snapshot and materialize the data as it comes in, but Again, these things don't come for free. Like if you decided to switch all your ingestion analytics to real time and, and use streaming technologies, I mean, there's quite a bit of infrastructure. Even in the cloud these days, like uh, you have to do quite a bit of work yourself to make sure that those systems are in place, they're operational, they're working properly, they're, they come with a whole set of operational challenges themselves and you have to account for that. So if uh, then you need to ask yourself, like, is it worth it? Like, what will it give me? What this framework will give to me if all I'm doing is this daily snapshots? Can I just do ingestion that goes every 15 minutes instead of daily? Because I mean, the funny thing is, we talk to prospects and they all st- like a lot of them start with like, oh yeah, we need to absolutely go real time. Like, there's no way we can do without real time. And you start talking to them, and it turns out they do. A daily ingestion and for them real time is anything more frequent than daily so real time is also this terminology where there's no 
no standards. So when you talk to them, like, what if we do ingestion every 10 minutes or 15 minutes? And for them, that's the future. Like that's as real time as they would go in the next few years, probably, because their consumers are all humans. Their reports are all daily and uh, things like that. And I mean, honestly, I don't think that like real time is taking over the world completely. I mean, it would be great and it's a nice concept and it's very elegant, but the reality is that there's tons of legacy systems that just don't talk real time and they will never talk real time. They will be replaced in the future, they will be rewritten and they will use those technologies, but it will take significant amounts of time and significant three, five years, I don't know exactly. But it will take a lot of time for business to move away from those systems and start doing something different. So like the batch is not like the batch ingestion is, is here for, for quite some time because we, we have to deal with a lot of stuff. Again, another popular complaint that I hear is, well, a lot of our data is in Excel spreadsheets. Like those people are not going real time anytime soon. They have a lot of other problems that needs to be solved before they can start thinking about that. Yeah, absolutely. There are. I, I love referring to those as uh, Microsoft Access Empires. One company <laughs> I worked at, I begged the IT department to remove Microsoft Access from users' computers because they were <laughs> innovating like crazy. And while the ideas were generally good, you know, the implementation was generally bad. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that's a whole other other story. On the topic though of people, do you have like is, is there a, a education strategy that you employ with uh, business so that they can, their users can shift? To, to a different mindset? Well, I mean, it's all to have an educational strategy. I think uh, it's, it's kind of the same old boring cycle. You have to understand what problem you're trying to solve. You have to understand the benefits and you have to understand the costs. And that's the language that business speaks, right? So what does it, like how much does it cost and what are we getting out of it? So really, I, I find myself more doing education around the same things that we've been talking about today. Like, what's the difference between real-time ingestion and real-time analytics? Do I need both? Do I need one or another? Do I need two systems to do this? Like, that's where we find ourselves these days, mostly. Exceptions, again, I'm going back to my previous point. Exceptions have been systems that have been built from ground up today. And not everyone is lucky to work for a company that's building their own stack, brand new, with all the new technologies. Like, you have to integrate. You have to be able to deal with these things. But yeah, I guess uh, the the mindset is you have to make sure that your data producers can actually produce data in real time. That's a big thing because if they can't and they ship your files, CSV files on the SFTP server, like that's pretty much it for the real time. And uh, again, they are talking more about the use cases and who will be consumer of the analytics because that to me is a big uh, decision point. Right, right. I think that's fascinating and and. Uh... You know, one of the most important points that, that, that I think you've brought out for, for the users to take away when they're understanding if this is a good fit for this or, or that appli- application. It, with streaming technologies, in terms of I've got to land the data somewhere, does that scream non-relational and no SQL type technologies or are relational technol- database technologies still a good fit as an, as an ingestion point? Well, I mean, you might be surprised, Chris, but I think you've been doing streaming with relational databases for a long, long time now because, like, imagine a table and SQL server and you insert entries as they come in from applications. I mean, that's streaming. (laughs) Like, nothing really changed. You have a stateful store that's unbounded, and it's all, like, you can take a snapshot of the table, but it's not exactly, like, in the next moment it's different. 
So I would argue that we've been doing it for, for a long time. The difference is really scale and distribution of the systems across multiple machines. That's, that's what's changing from technology perspective. So really, I mean, um, when you say whether you have to use like a non-relational database, so I think there's two different things. So there's the streaming, let's call them streaming analytics, because I mean, the thing is streaming analytics engine can support streaming ingestion usually if your database or place where you land the data can support can support the scale, right? So like, uh, we'll not, let's not make distinction from technology perspective, whether it's ingestion or analytics, the same frameworks will be able to do both probably. So they, these systems actually these days, and I think that was the big change over the last couple of years from streaming systems being regarded as something not accurate where data can be, uh, let's say a machine died in the middle and you lost a chunk. So your aggregates are not exactly right. And there was no, like, there was really hard to reconcile those, those things. What changed in the last few years is all those systems introduced local states on these distributed machines. So the real, like, it's, it's really interesting to think about it. So basically you now have on each uh, machine that's doing the streaming processing in a cluster, you have like a tiny little database sitting. And the database maintains the state of the aggregates, the joins, and they obviously partition by, and they spread across multiple nodes, but they all have the state stores and all these different frameworks use different state stores these days. But those are the big difference because now they can replicate those state stores. They are persistent and they are fault tolerant. So if one machine dies, you have the state saved somewhere else and that machine will pick up processing. So from that perspective, streaming analytics engine is a database. It has state. You can query it and you can uh, run some analysis on top of the data and you don't have to worry that the data, it, data is no longer ephemeral. Like it doesn't evaporate when something goes bad in your, in your system. But the reality is those systems don't run SQL. Like there are some variants of SQL, but they don't run SQL in yours and mine understanding where you can slice and dice data as much as you want. They will probably never do because you always have to make trades off between speed and the way the data is arranged in storage. So the data has to go somewhere after that. Let's say you want to build a dashboard that shows you how many users are doing some stuff on your website. So you don't connect this dashboard directly to the streaming system. It will not work. You have to have some data store that will store the results of the analytics, which are usually aggregates of some kind. And then your applications will connect to the data store and they will perform visualizations. And those data stores could be key value stores in the cloud, they probably could be relational because if you, all your storing are aggregates, you could scale out SQL Server, MySQL, Postgres, Oracle to, to support that. So the results of the streaming analytics, usually these days, they do go into some kind of store which applications use as the source, but the analytics systems themselves do have persistence layers these days and that's how they claim I mean, that's all the claim. I mean, that's like actually a big change. It took probably two years to, to arrive from, hey, streaming is not reliable to we actually have stateful streaming. I think a lot of people don't understand the, the, this change. You have to kind of go deep through some of the technologies behind the scenes, but uh, that's what they do right now. That those are stateful systems. Okay, that, I think that's a very helpful architectural overview. Why don't you talk about some of the key technology players, like the names that the audience probably have heard tossed around, like, you know, Spark, Apache Beam, Kafka. Uh, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit more about those techs? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I will do my best to, to give you an overview. I may not know like all the in-depths for each of the technologies, but I spent some time kind of understanding how they work. So I like, <laughs> like with the NoSQL, uh, like five, seven years ago, there was a huge prol- proliferation of these streaming systems and everyone had one and there was Storm and there's Flink. And I mean, they still exist, but I think the industry is kind of converging, hopefully, as happened with NoSQL to a fewer more mature uh, frameworks. And I think right now the key players in that space that uh, you want to, to explore would be the Spark Streaming, uh, the Apache Beam, also known as Dataflow, and Kafka Streams. And the, like those are the three systems that I see kind of over and over again, and that's probably where the industry will converge in the end. There's Flink, but I think in the end, hopefully, like they use the same model as Apache Beam, so I, I think at some point some convergence will happen in that space. So I think the interesting thing is all of them are open source, uh, with the exception of Apache Beam. Apache Beam is an open source project, but it's uh, like the only real implementation that's available right now that has been tested and we know works in production is the Google service called Dataflow. And that works only on GCP, obviously, and it's a proprietary closed source implementation of Apache Beam interface. So there's a slight difference there, but uh, Spark Streaming, Kafka Streams are open source technologies. They are different. So all three are different in the way they do things. And uh, I think trying to highlight the differences is Spark Streaming does use the idea of micro-batch. So it doesn't really process data elements one by one as they come in. As like at the beginning of this podcast, we defined that, hey, the streaming is really when you be able to process elements one by one, but also perform computation across all of them at some point. So Spark Streaming doesn't do that. It uses the notion of micro-batch, meaning that you can define this tiny windows of time. And windows of time could be a second, 30 seconds, five seconds. So for many use cases, it's perfectly acceptable. And that's what I was talking before is you need to understand the scenarios. So if you really want to get faster ingestion or some basic computation that doesn't require elements to go one by one, then micro-batch may be exactly the right fit for you. It also helps that Spark is a really de facto standard for large-scale data processing these days. And having the same primitives and same interfaces and same cluster to be able to do the batch and streaming in micro-batches, I think is really helpful. And if you have a Spark cluster already or planning to invest into the technology, that's probably the one thing that you should, should look into. Kafka and Apache Beam slash Dataflow, they are somewhat called like pure streaming systems. So the data is processed as it comes in. It's it's not micro-batched. You can get data and a lot like processed element by element, or you can do the aggregation across multiple things. And the differences between the two, like that's where you get into the depths. I mean, the big difference uh, for uh, the Kafka streams is that you have to have Kafka because like you have to also understand the historical context, how the systems evolve. The Kafka streams was the continuation of the idea, okay, now we have this system that can ingest data really fast and provides a scalable and fast way for us to get data into the system. Why don't we try to piggyback on the same idea and build a streaming system around that because we actually have the persistent layer already built outside. And that's how the Kafka stream happens is they basically reused the, the Kafka as the backbone and they, they, the Kafka Streams framework itself is way simpler than many other frameworks because it kind of moved away a lot of responsibilities for making sure data is not get lost, it's replicated, it's distributed to Kafka itself. 
data, uh, Apache Beam and uh, or Dataflow implementation it doesn't have this notion, so they can consume data from Kafka, consume data from PubSub, Kinesis, or even read from the database, but they don't have the uh, the message bus kind of built into that. So they have a little, little bit more complexity around those. But they, in the end, both Kafka Streams and uh, Apache Beam have a really, really similar characteristics when it comes to what they can do. They just do it differently. I mean, there's more distinction about how they treat time and difference between processing time and event time, but we'll not go in-depth into those. Uh, like, there's a lot of literature online if you are willing to, to explore that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure each one could be the subject of at least one episode on its own. So, okay, Danelle, so that's that's a good overview of the technologies. Let's talk a little bit about handling the data that that is landed. Like, if data is constantly flowing to me, into my system, like how do I aggregate it? How do I make, you know, join some of the, the systems together so that I can aggregate that and present it? Like, wh- what do I do differently to handle it? Yeah, so that's a great question, Chris. And I think that's one of the areas, I know you asked about what the educational aspect of this of, of our work is when we're trying to explain the differences. So we talked about the business aspect of it, but from the technologist perspective, like, if you used to running things like select, count, or aggregate or sum on tables, uh, now you have to wrap your head around like the table is constantly, like I don't have really a table, I have two streams of data that are constantly thrown through the system, so how do I join them together, for example, or how do I compute any statistics across these streams that are constantly changing? And it's an excellent question, and I think the really important concept that uh, a lot of the technologists or analysts who will actually work with the data need to understand is the concept of windowing. Yes, the data is flowing through the system all the time and there's no bound and there's no beginning and there's no end. And you can't really take a snapshot of all of the data because you never know what all of the data is. So the only way you can really perform aggregates is to window uh, the elements by time. And that's usually, like there are a lot of different types of windows that a lot of academic literature about like there's overlapping, non-overlapping, sliding, tumbling. There's a lot of different types of windows, but the core idea is you slice your streams into some chunks and you perform statistics on them. And there, and it's like, I think that's where your head explodes because now you are like, okay, we were talking about unbounded data sets, but now you tell me that I need to put boundaries on the data sets and do computation. And that's exactly what's happening. The data stream is unbounded, but the, some computations like joins or aggregates or group by, like grouping by is an excellent use case. You can only perform on windows that you need to define because otherwise, like there's no semantics that covers like group by what? Like you have a key, but the key may, some keys may still arrive, some already went away, like what are you actually doing? So you need to define these windows. Uh, Usually like you can think about, I want to see aggregates by player ID on a five-minute basis. And what will happen in the streaming systems is the streaming system will take the chunks of the street, uh, of the data flowing through them, slice them in five-minute windows, perform aggregations, and uh, that's how you would get your results uh, on that. And there's a lot of uh, different types of windows. There are sessions that come and play at some point, which are not time-based windows and things like that. But I think that's, uh, like, if you're just trying to get into the understanding how streaming works. Like that's a really important concept because that's how things kind of 
close the loop, right? So on one hand, you have unbounded streams. On the other hand, you have a really bounded windows. And like, this is the two fundamentals that's, that this is based on. Right, right. That, that makes sense. And so, you know, if I, if I translate that into then kind of uh, the user aspect of things where they're looking at the, the reports, it, it seems that being very clear with the naming of the reports, like, so that they understand that this is a real-time report, like real-time to date something or other. But whereas another one, uh, instead of having just a start time, or sorry, a start date and end date, you'll probably have to include a time element as well. So you're not just looking at, you know, June 1st, it'll be June 1st at 9 a.m. to, you know, June 16th at 9 a.m. and, and forcing the users to uh, be, be specific as they, they touch the data. That's actually an excellent point. You're right. So to, like we need to be able to communicate to the consumers of the analytics what are they actually looking at. And it may not be as straightforward. Like I think there is still quite, quite some research to be done in that space because you would now say this is the aggregates. Like again, I'm going, let's say we have an online game and you're trying to compute some statistics for different uh, players and uh, group by some other attributes and calculate scores or whatever. And you will need to be able, okay, to say this dashboard actually gives you the aggregates on a five-minute windows. So the business, and I, I mean, it will take some education as well on the business level to explain what it actually means and how data will change and what will happen if there's a whole, like, there's a whole lot of uh, discussions about how the system should behave when there's late arriving data. The data that was supposed to be in this window, but it actually somebody was offline and then they plugged in their computer and a whole bunch of data that was supposed to be in 11 a.m. window arrived at 2 p.m. Like, where do we put it? Where does it belong? And there's, like, different frameworks deal with this complexity differently. But you are right. We should be able to communicate to the business, like, what is this analytics that they're looking at? How does it change? What is the windowing uh, parameters around this? And uh, I don't think there's any support in any of the streaming systems. They're really focused on consumers as machines, I think, rather than consumers as humans. So there's quite a bit of work to be done in that space as well. Right. That that makes sense. I, I really like that that you brought that to my attention. I think that's a, a big differentiator for me. I, I think if you're going to use streaming ingestion to feed your human-consumed analytics, you know, troubleshooting, it could be a nightmare because by the time IT gets to the point, it gets notified that something isn't right, it could be right again. So it could be a real nightmare. So the only strategy I can think of in, in a few seconds or less is, you know, having some sort of uh, dashboard that uh, displays the status of the the streaming uh, senders, the publishers, so that you can at least see, oh, this number doesn't look right. Oh, okay, store 22 is wrong now. That works if you have a couple of stores, but if you have, you know, billions of sensors, obviously that that's not very practical. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's great that you mentioned that because that's one of the things that that my team is working on is to be able to provide not only IT, but business users with visibilities, what the hell is going on with my data ingestion? Because you're right, like, what do we see right now? I look at the dashboard, the numbers seem wrong. So you try to find somebody in IT and they will tell you, oh, we didn't receive data for this date, or the files were empty, or my uh, half of my streaming ingestion died and we are just fixing it and the data will arrive a little bit later. It just increases the feedback loop significantly. So if we could give our information in a digestible way to the business saying, hey, as you said, this is the status of all the ingestions, all green, meaning your data is up to date according to the specification. And what is the specification is another thing. But if some of them are red, you can 
make the decision for yourself whether you need to get somebody to investigate further. You're like, okay, these stores haven't sent the data yet, or we haven't received it yet. So like these numbers are off because we didn't receive 10% of the data to see, so it will arrive later. Right. But it's a, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting concept, and I think that's something that is missing right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and, and quite a problem to solve. We'll include a link in the show notes to the project that you're working on so that people can uh, uh, get a little bit more information. Sounds great. I, I think we've covered the, the uh, this as far as we can without going really in-depth into each one. So uh, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to come up to the show today. I know you're a, a really busy guy. Absolutely. Thanks, Chris. So that's all the time we have for today, folks. If you want to stay up to date on the latest changes for GCP, Azure, and AWS, I recommend you check out the Cloudscape podcast, which we publish monthly. The biggest compliment you can give us is by helping others know where to find us. And you can do that by just letting them know where you can see about the show or writing a short, honest review on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. As always, we love your feedback and you can give that to us at datascapepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks and have a great day in the Datascape. Navigating the Datascape.